walk around and disregard it. Should you walk around, show you what heart is. Standing strong and proud of me, and I can't. Let's get started. It's the hardest. Walk around and disregard it. Should you walk around, show you what heart is. Standing strong and proud of me, and I can't. Let's get started. Yeah, get your boots ready. We're about to go on a trip where we wrestle nobody, settling or calling it quits. You're here for the grit, betcha this stuff is amazing. You're stumbling, welcome to the bump in the apron. Step into it, the hardest part of the ring. Here to bring fun, yeah, and this art is king. It's the best thing, making sure you don't tap out. Don't go soft with the hardest part cast out. And it's not just another one, it's clear. Off the rest, in this content, none can test. Take the nonsense off the steps. You know it's nothing but Pure gems when it's coming off the chest. Get it? Now it's time to sit and relax. Get your mind blown away. Ain't no skipping this track. Have you paid more attention? No listening gap. Get everything I ever wanted. No giving it back. Yeah. What's up, everybody? Hardest part of the ring is here. WrestleMania week. Who, doggy, hot dog, tamale, butter me up and call me Susan. What a fucking week of wrestling. Man, oh man, did you have enough? Was 27 hours enough? Fuck. But no, man, I mean, really though, honestly, what a fucking week of wrestling. I mean, honestly, I mean, because WrestleMania week... If you're listening to this podcast, I'm assuming you're a wrestling fan or you're my fiance. Hey, Kenzie. But so <laughs> if you're a wrestling fan, you have to love WrestleMania week unless you're an asshole, which it's a good chance. Some of you probably are, right? That's fine. I'll take the downloads from whoever will do it. But no, really, because honestly, Because WrestleMania week is like what it's called, right? It's what it's based around. But there's like so much wrestling all over the world. Well, not, you know, this year, maybe not all over the world, but in general there is. And this year there was a lot of other wrestling outside of WWE as well. But it all kind of falls into this kind of WrestleMania atmosphere. This, you know, if there's ever a Super Bowl, I mean, I don't need to tell you guys, but that's what WrestleMania is. And it's so great because it reminds us why we're all fans of this shit, right? Because everyone can have fun doing their own thing, you know? Even if you don't like WrestleMania, even if you don't watch WWE, there's so much other stuff happening, man. I mean, you have all these indies all over the country doing, like GCW did some stuff where I think even John Moxley made an appearance, right? Um, you know, Bloodsport happened, uh... Impact had a pay-per-view, Hard Justice, AEW, they had, you know, Mike Tyson appearing on there on Dynamite, uh, you know, Wrestling Society X, all these, all these companies doing shit, probably a lot that I am not even aware of, but it all kind of falls, it all kind of bases itself around WrestleMania, around the atmosphere that it kind of elicits from the fans, and it's just a good fucking time, man. Just an awesome time to be a wrestling fan. And in all reality, we didn't get a WrestleMania last year. We did, but we didn't. You know, the terrible timing of the pandemic, at least in relation to, to wrestling, 
of course, you know, occurring right before WrestleMania. So, yeah, they had a show called WrestleMania. Yeah, they had a logo in the background, but it wasn't WrestleMania, man. And while it did last year give us like the Boneyard match, gave us Drew McIntyre getting his moment, uh, you know, Dolph Ziggler versus Otis, you know, all of this great stuff. Right. But um, it wasn't WrestleMania. It was in a warehouse. Nobody was there. It was it was sterile. It was stagnant. And that's been a lot of the past year. You know, it's had its ups and downs, but man, I've, I've said it a bunch on this podcast and I'm, I'm sure you have the same opinion. Wrestling without fans fucking eats dick. <laughs> it really does. And you don't realize it until you get it back. And we got it back this weekend to a large, large extent. 25,000 people. In Raymond James Stadium, what it was supposed to be last year. I mean, I guess it's supposed to be more people, but you know what I mean. The same arena. And uh, we'll get into it later in the podcast. But we saw a lot of people who were supposed to get their moments last year get it this year. And it was really, really great to see. Honestly, it was really heartwarming as a fan um, to see fans in attendance for one. But to see how the wrestlers themselves reacted to that. I mean, we all know how important the fan reactions are, but it really drives it home when you see these, all these wrestlers coming out. The Randy Orton getting emotional when he walks out, you know, Rhea Ripley crying on stage, like at the beginning of the show. Stuff like that was just awesome to see. And we will get into that. But, you know, just to kind of put a bow on what I was saying earlier, WrestleMania week, whether it's WWE you're watching, whether it's just, you know, NXT. AEW, all the various independent promotions and other smaller companies happening, you know, impact I mentioned, whatever it is, fans get their opportunity to choose what they want to watch. Lots of choices. And that's what wrestling should be, man. Watch whatever makes your dick hard. That's what it means to be a wrestling fan, in my opinion, in my opinion. But with that being said, to avoid, you know, making this podcast too long-winded, you know, because there's so much stuff to happen. If I if I talked about everything that happened in the past week, this podcast would be 12 hours long and nobody wants to listen to me. For really, I mean, I'm surprised you guys want to listen to me at all, but it's definitely not that long. I'll try, I'll try not to, <laughs> I'll try to keep things kind of general uh, in this in this episode. It's mainly going to be on WrestleMania, the show itself. I will touch on NXT uh and some other stuff that happened, but uh, this will mainly be a WrestleMania podcast episode. And uh, especially, you know, I don't know if you can hear it. I don't know if it's coming across. I'm a little under the weather for like the past fucking week. I've been sick. I don't know what it is. It's not COVID. Um, it's probably, you know, like, you know, the pollen in the air. It's, it's or maybe it's AIDS or something. Who knows? Who knows what it is? Um, but hey, you know, you, you had you had Michael Jordan in game five of the 97 NBA finals. And then you have me. So two of the same things here happening. So whatever it takes to get this audio saliva right into your ears. So that's what daddy likes to do. Um, (laughs) Anyways. uh, Yes. Do, as I, as I mentioned, want to touch on NXT takeover stand 
and deliver. Holy guacamole. These, man, both nights. It was a two-night event, obviously. And, uh, man, those guys, man, they, they not only stood... But they delivered. Uh, no, really, honestly, two great nights of NXT. I mean, takeovers, man. They always, you know, I don't, don't want to say they always deliver because it's the fucking name of the show. But they always deliver, and this this instance was no different. Like I said, uh, once again, WrestleMania weekend, everybody's pumped up. There's like a different gear that everybody's in, and that really came through in both nights. But yes, for NXT TakeOver, Stand and Deliver Night 1. Now, I will mention here that I was on the Smacked Raw podcast with RN and Katie on a Wednesday right after the show. So I'll put a link in the description below. I, was, I did have RN on the show previously for a progress episode. So if you like the dynamic with me and RN and Throw Katie in there, who was awesome as well. Go check out the Smacked Raw podcast. NXT Stand and Deliver Night 1 recap. Like I said, that was right after the show. So go check out their YouTube channel and uh, wherever you listen to podcasts for that. Because we went into uh, pretty in-depth on Night 1. That was a really good time there. Always a fun time with those guys. Really good podcast. If you haven't checked them out before, go check them out. And um, so because I went so in-depth... On their podcast, I'll just give you like the cliff notes, basically, of what I thought about night one. Um, man, it was just nonstop great matches. Like, that's like a very like generic thing to say, but it's like something to say, like, because I've found within in the past year, it's like NXT, because sometimes you feel like it's almost lost something that it had. It's lost something that when it was at its peak, it was the best thing in wrestling. And sometimes we, we as fans kind of question what that is. I question what it is. A lot of times in the past year, I found that NXT kind of fell into that WWE, quote unquote, you know, main roster kind of formula. As far as like the matches go, you see like a lot of rest holds, just the way the matches were structured kind of fell into that kind of rhythm. And it kind of took away from NXT's identity. But I say that. Because Stand and Deliver, both nights, really, they got back in their groove, man. NXT found what made them so great originally. And these matches, there was not a lot of dead space, which is great. As, as, a, as a viewer, obviously, not a lot of dead air, not a lot of time to just kind of sit back and look at your phone. It was nonstop action the whole night, both nights, really, for the most part. And that's what makes NXT so great. You know, it kicked off with uh, Pete Dunne versus Kushida. Like I said, very like the, the match was like very in close. Like the guys were always like grappling or doing something. There was always a reason to watch. They were always like pushing forward the the narrative of what they were trying to do. Very, you know, it was two technical wrestlers trying to prove who's more technical or who's better at, at technical wrestling, basically. So with that, obviously... You get a very technical wrestling match. And Pete Dunne and Kushida fucking kicked ass opening the show. Really, really great match. And uh, Pete Dunne gets the win here with the bitter end. Uh, loved the finish to it where uh, Pete Dunne was working on Kushida's hand the entire match. 
And Kushida, one of his signature moves is his little baseball pitcher punch, whatever he, I don't know what he calls it, but he did it just out of habit, but his hand is hurt. So he hit the move, hurt himself. Pete Dunne was able to capitalize based on the damage he inflicted during the match and won the match. So I think both guys came out looking great after this match. And Pete Dunne, we'll get to it later, but he could be potentially the next challenger for the NXT title. But we'll see. We'll see. Um, You know, like I said, I don't want to get too in-depth with these matches because we did talk about it on the SmackDown podcast. But the gauntlet was fun for what it was. Didn't expect the Rumble, Royal Rumble kind of rules to it. But for what it was, it was fine. Um, It was good to see Swerve get some shine because I feel like that dude has been doing nothing but losing for like the past year and he's so so good he, he deserves to be a huge star in nxt but even though he didn't win it was good to see him in the final two and get some pretty near falls and almost win the thing but uh bronson reed ends up winning and another guy it's like good to see him get a big win i think he has so much potential he does the big man style so good very reminiscent of a Bam Bam Bigelow, which clearly is an influence on him. So it's awesome to have that kind of uh, wrestler on the roster to kind of slide in wherever. I'm a big, big, thick boy guy. Um, A lot of people thought Dexter Loomis was going to win this gauntlet, but I think maybe it was just too obvious. Um, I think he will get his time. And not to get too ahead of myself, but at night two, Bronson didn't win. So I think... Hey, Bronson winning here was kind of a uh, an intermediate intermediate. Is that the word? I don't know. It was kind of something it, just to give Gargano another win. But I think a, a Gargano Loomis match is for sure in the future. I don't think Dexter Loomis is a guy that needs a title. Kind of like the Fiend. When you have someone that's so character based like that, they don't need to have a fucking championship all the time. There's a reason Undertaker didn't spend a lot of time as champion. It's because you don't need it. Right. Your your value is in your character and the storylines that your character can kind of elicit and kind of how you how it kind of interacts with other people on the roster. You don't need the title to establish a reason for the feud. The the feud is based on what your character is. And Dexter Loomis, such a, a wild out there character that him being champion is almost like a it's almost dumb, you know, like the fiend. Exactly like The Fiend. The Fiend being champion, even even being in the title picture is fucking dumb. So that's how I feel about that. But um, yeah, what else happened on this this, uh, this, little, this, little, this little night one gimmick? Um, oh, the tag team title match. Triple threat. MSK versus Grizzled Young Veterans versus Legato Del Fantasma for the vacated... NXT tag team titles. This match might have been, you know, my number one or or my number two, number three favorite match of both nights. Awesome. Phenomenal match. This is another match where there was very little like time to breathe. It was nonstop action, which is what a triple threat tag match really should be. Right. There's no excuse for it not to be. I really enjoyed uh, Legato Delvin Tasma getting an opportunity to show out in this match because they've kind of been positioned as pretty much just the henchmen for Santos Escobar, which is like, you know, Raul Mendoza and DJ Z or whatever, what's his name? Joaquin, Joaquin Wild. Both dudes are great 
wrestlers, great in the ring. And it was great to see them just get opportunity to be luchadors. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's good to see them get some shine. Um, Grizzly Young Veterans are probably the best tag team in WWE. I don't even know if it's particularly close, <laughs> you know, especially given the the circumstances with the teams on the main roster. I, I think Grizzled Young Veterans are by far the best tag team that the roster has. I think I would even like set, go as far to say that they're like revival, but a little bit better. That's just my take on it. They're they're different. They're for sure they're different than FTR or revival. But I, I liken, I kind of compare them because they're great heel tag teams. But um, I think the veterans, the Grizzleds, the Grizzlies, what do you call them? Um, I think they fit that mold of the heel tag team that's always in the in the title hunt. I think they fit that role very well. So it's good to see. I, um, I kind of expected them to win this match just because I thought, you know, it'd give MSK a reason to chase. But MSK ended up just winning this match which you know at first glance it was like okay this almost seems kind of rushed it almost seems like I, I wish msk would have had the chance to to climb and struggle to get those titles but that honestly you know is the typical kind of uh sequence of events right and i'm always for wwe kind of switching things up from how they normally do things so maybe that's this case so I'll let it play out. I'm not going to shit on it too much uh, yet, especially considering MSK. They just have so much momentum going. It almost be uh, it wouldn't be a halt to their momentum if they had lost. But I uh, I definitely understand them trying to capitalize on their momentum and uh, giving them the titles pretty much right out the gate. So happy for those guys and the tag division, man. It seems like it's back. It was gone for a while. You know, the pandemic hit. It gave us some pretty stagnant uh, NXT episodes for a while. You know, they didn't have really a lot of tag teams at all. They had fucking Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch as champions for a couple months. Uh, Breezango, who, look, I like those guys, but like, come on, who cares? Um, <laughs> and then what? Imperium without Walter. Like, the tag division had some struggles in the past year, but. From what I saw on TakeOver, it seems like it is back in a big way. So awesome to see that. Having that tag division, it's just it's, it's a very crucial piece to these TakeOvers, right? You have your main event. You have, you know, co-main event. You have your women's title. You have your mid-card title. And you have your tag team title. Well, for a long time, they didn't have that tag team title piece, which made maybe TakeOvers suffer a little bit. But man, now, whew. I mean, you guys know, if you've listened to me for a long time, you know I'm a mark for tag team wrestling. So awesome to see NXT finally bouncing back with their tag division. But speaking of bouncing back, how about watching Champa's head bounce off the fucking mat through all this? This may have been, I think it was definitely my favorite match of takeover. Both nights could have been my favorite match of the entire week. It's kind of, I mean, it's kind of apples and oranges when comparing to WrestleMania and stuff, but like this match fucked like it was I, it had it's such a high bar too right I, that's another thing we all expected it to be great but i think it was even better than a lot of us even expected i mean from the get-go first of all i popped hard i was popping i was popping all over the place in the beginning just from see from seeing champa 
shaving his head. No longer do we have to sit through fucking homeless boy Champa. Now we got bald, beautiful bald Tommaso, along with his old ring jacket, his old trunks, looking shredded as ever. Just vascular as hell, dude. We had 2018 Tommaso Champa back here, which is great to see because, I mean, that's, I talked earlier about what NXT has been missing. I think Champa being kind of watered down in the past year has been a big part of that too, right? Because he's been such a big part, especially when NXT was at his peak, he was such a big part of that. And to see him kind of, kind of be in the background for a while was kind of demoralizing, honestly, as, as fans, it was like, man, are his best days behind him, but fuck me in half, dude. He proved me wrong in this match against Walter, who Walter, some of y'all are sleeping on Walter, and you better wake the hell up because this dude might be the best wrestler in the world. And I'll get to, I'll get, well, I'll expand on that later, but this match here, man, just a but this dude, it was what we expected, right? It was each guy hitting each other really hard. Walter matches are always like that, and Champa fed, fit into that. Perfectly. Champa was super aggressive, much more than he has been. Um, you know, Walter, he tried to chop Champa on the outside, but missed and fucking cut through the announce table with his bare hand. Like the sound of the wood breaking was was ungodly. And that played into the story of the match, right? Walter's right hand was injured from that. So he couldn't use it throughout the match until he used it as a last resort to chop Champa at the end. And that's what finished the match. You know, this was after, you know, Walter obviously worked on that the neck, the surgically repaired neck of Champa with uh, suplexes, submissions, chokeholds. He did this sick like neck crank with his ankles. It was uh and like I said, just a last resort using that right hand because he couldn't use it throughout the match, but he had to because he knew where that's where the power was. And that's what finished the match. A lot of people didn't like that the finish was a chop, but come on, man. Are you new? <laughs> Are you not familiar with Walter? Add on to the fact that this is after, you know, a, a stinny hit like a suplex, making champ I land right on his neck. And just like I said, he emptied the gas tank with that chop, and that's what got him the victory. So I love the story of the match, love the finish, and uh, we're not done with Walter this week, folks. We are not done with Walter. But then, man, the main event of night one, Raquel Gonzalez. I'm, I'm kind of going into more <laughs> detail than I intended to do with these, but Raquel Gonzalez beats Io Shirai to win the NXT Women's Championship. It was, it's been a long time coming, you know, ever since Raquel beat EO in war games, it's pretty much been a matter of when, not if, that she was going to beat EO for the title. And again, just another banger of a match. You know, Raquel was pretty much the base for EO and all of her high flying offense, just bouncing around all, all over the ring, diving off of the skull on the stage was a sick bump. You know, Raquel ended up hitting some power moves and hit her power bomb for the win. So, you know, EO did all she could, but couldn't beat giant Gonzalez here. And Raquel Gonzalez, man, she's going to be a huge star. I've been saying it for a while. I think eventually she's going to be the biggest babyface women superstar 
in the WWE within maybe within a year, but definitely very, very soon. And uh, she just has she's just so marketable looking. She she just has a very like. I don't want to just say it's because she's attractive because she is, but like she just feels like she ha- she could be a big baby face in the future. She doesn't seem very like mean, if that makes any sense. She's like big and tough and intimidating, but it's like, I don't know how to explain it. She just has very soft features. And I think that could play into a very good uh, heroic kind of character in the future. But whatever the case is, whatever it is, baby face heel, she's going to be huge. I think it's only a matter of time. I think this this time next year, she could be very well winning a, uh, a Raw women's title, a SmackDown women's title at WrestleMania. So good to see Rocky get the rocket here. And uh, only time will tell. You know, she's a heel, obviously, now. So that opens up a lot of more opportunities uh, for women to, women to challenge her for the title. I was expecting Dakota Kai to turn on her in this match. Uh, I still think it will happen. Maybe it's it'll be next week. Maybe it'll be, you know, a couple weeks, months down the road. But I think it's happening. I think it's happening. Um, but whatever the case is, that women's roster in NXT is so, so robust and so such so full of diverse talent that could challenge Raquel or then they have the tag title. Like it is such a great division down there. Love to see it. Um, the night two of NXT take over, stand and deliver. Had uh, opened up the ladder match, which was, I, you know, it wasn't like uh, I, it, I definitely got a feeling like they didn't want to like, or maybe they weren't allowed to uh, steal the thunder of the main event because the main event was a very uh, weapon heavy, you know, gimmick match, hardcore kind of match. So maybe they didn't want to do too much to kind of outshine that. Uh, but what with you know the the opportunities they were given, I thought it was a Really fun opening match, uh, obviously for the unified, not unified, I guess unified, uh, cruiserweight titles. Jordan Devlin versus Santos Escobar. They did some cool stuff in this match. That moonsault from Jordan Devlin was insane. Standing at the very top of the ladder, hitting a beautiful moonsault, landing it perfectly. A um, couple of cool spots in this match, but ultimately, Santos Escobar wins the match, which makes sense because there's not a lot of cruiserweights in NXT UK and the ones that are there, Jordan Devlin has already beat. So it makes sense, and especially considering you know, 205 Live, which I think is still a show, <laughs> is uh, it's taped in America and uh, there's just way more opportunities for title defenses here in the US. So it makes sense that Santos wins here and uh, especially considering they have the in, in UK and NXT UK. They have the Heritage Cup, which kind of serves as a mid-card title, weirdly. Um, so they don't really need the Cruiserweight title over there. But uh, So yeah, it makes sense to see Santos Escobar win. Even though I feel like it kind of wrestles like a heavyweight. It feels like he should be like in the North American title picture rather than the Cruiserweight title uh, holder. But uh, you know, we'll see how it pans out. I like, uh, I like the whole Legato uh, faction that they got there. I like the vibe that they got and uh santos escobar he's doing some good shit for the cruiserweight division so look forward to see what he does after this but uh then uh you know the nxt women's tag team titles uh the fire pit ember moon and shotzi blackheart versus the way uh the team of candace loray and indy hartwell just another match that kicked ass. I mean, it's awesome. It's incredible to see how the NXT women's tag team titles are already like 
10 times more valuable than the the main roster women's tag team titles, which is just, uh, I don't think anybody's shocked, but uh, it's just funny. It's just funny to see how easy it is to make these ti- these women's tag titles mean something, but no interest on the main roster for whatever reason. Um, really good match there. Uh, Fire Pit gets the win. Shotzi and Ember, uh, they're starting to gel really well as a tag team. I was kind of skeptical at the beginning. It seemed like a weird pair, but they fit together pretty well. And uh, they're starting to feel like a tag team and not like two singles wrestler, which I like. So hopefully they hold on to that for a long time because I, th- I think that they fit in that role really well. And you got, uh, you know, mentioned earlier, Thick Boy Bronson Reed uh, won the gauntlet on night one. So now in night two, he gets a North American title shot against Johnny Gargano. Really, really good match here. I feel like Gargano hasn't faced a lot of big guys. Like he faced Damian Priest, right? But he's more of just a tall, lanky motherfucker. I guess he faced Keith Lee, right? Johnny Gargano. But for the most part, I feel like Johnny's kind of face, he's facing, you know, smaller guys like Champa, like Kushida, uh, Leon Ruff. It feels like that's what he's been doing a lot lately. I don't know, but uh, different kind of pace here with Bronson Reed. It's very interesting dynamic to have a heel small guy facing a babyface big monster. But <laughs> I think they played into it well with how Bronson Reed, obviously he competed the night before and Gargano did not. So Bronson had some damage to his ribs from the previous match that Johnny and Johnny was able to come in there just fresh as a daisy. So that element, I think added a lot to uh, getting sympathy for Bronson Reed. And uh, I think Bronson was able to showcase again, another case. It feels like a theme here. Another guy who finally gets a chance to show what he's made of in a, uh, a big time match here against Johnny Gargano. So even though Bronson was not able to win, I think he, uh, he showed, like I said, he showed what he was capable of. He he wrestled that big man style really well. I mentioned earlier, very reminiscent of a Bam Bam Bigelow kind of guy. And, you know, Johnny Gargano, he's uh, he's Johnny Takeover. So always, always shows outs. Shows outs? Always shows out on these Takeover specials. So good shit there. Uh, but boy, howdy. We got ourselves a new NXT champion, folks. Karrion Cross beats Finn Balor to win the NXT title. And look, the build to this match was fucking phenomenal. Um, I mean, in the weeks previous, it's been pretty good. But just like the video package, the entrances, the, the just the big fight feel that this match kind of had to it was next level. Some people were wanting the demon to come back and... I've heard that a lot, but my thing is that the demon kind of represents WWE Finn Balor. It represents Monday Night Raw, Friday Night SmackDown Finn Balor. When Finn came back, he said that WWE was like Hollywood and NXT is like Broadway. Hollywood, the demon character is very Hollywood. It's it's you know, face paint. The, the smoke, the lights, the, the getup, the, you know, the, the wig or the hat that he puts on. Very Hollywood, very spectacle, very sports entertainment. The demon is a sports entertainment character. Finn Balor, the whole premise of him coming back to NXT 
was that he did not want to be Hollywood anymore. He wanted to get back to his roots. He wanted to get back to the Finn Balor that came from Japan. And I know he did the demon shit in the Japan, but he wanted to be more of a bare bones competitor in NXT. Just a badass dude wearing a, wearing a leather jacket and having a lot of abs. That's what he wants to be. And that's what he was here. So I, I, I hope we don't see the demon in, in NXT. I understand what people are thinking, right? You know, because Karrion Cross is kind of this macabre, kind of demonic character. So the demon would fit in well against that. But to that, I say, I think, I think Karrion Cross has been uh, kind of humanized the past few months. Pretty much ever since he feuded with Damian Priest, he's been less like of a demonic kind of evil, spooky like character. He's been more of just a dude, like a badass dude. I mean, he has Scarlet being a goofy bitch behind him, but it's like Karrion Cross himself, like I said, he's been kind of humanized recently, which I like. I think that's where he thrives because he still has that presence, but he doesn't have to be watered down with the goofy, like, you know, f- fireball out of a scroll kind of deal, you know, disappearing into the smoke and uh, coming down from the rafters and lighting things on fire. Like, he, he's just a... A legit fighter. He's a big guy. That's all he needs, right? He still has the entrance and all that, but you know, point being that I don't think the demon is a necessary, you know, element to add into that, given all of those factors at play here, right? Uh, but Karrion Cross pretty much is picking up where he left off when he beat Keith Lee uh, originally to win the title, and obviously had to drop it due to injury. Um, so it's pretty much you know, Finn was kind of like the uh, the in between. I was like, okay, we'll put you as champion while Cross is injured, but we're going to get back to that Cross narrative that we had planned. So that's what it seems like. And I'd really like to see them kind of tie the loop with the whole Champa Cross story. Because if you remember, Karrion Cross came in, he faced Tommaso Champa at, I think it was a takeover, right? Or it was at least a special of some sort. And Cross just dominated Champa. And this is this all goes back to what I was talking about earlier with how Champa kind of got watered down for a little bit and Cross was able to capitalize on that and just dominate him. But now Tommaso Champa has found that gear that he lost, that gear that he was in in 2018 when he was the NXT champion, when he was the psycho killer, when he was that dude in NXT. Tommaso Champa has found that. Now Karrion Cross is champion again. Those two haven't really interacted since Karrion Cross dominated Champa and sent Champa home for a while. So now you have those two elements at play once again. And now I think it's only a matter of time before that collision happens. Maybe there'll be some title matches before that. Like I said, Pete Dunne could be like an intermediate kind of match before that or something like that. But I think Champa and Karrion Cross is the next big, big match for that NXT title. And I would... Definitely love to see it, given how everybody's evolved since then. And uh, be remiss if we didn't mention how great Finn Balor's run has been as, as NXT champion. I've been kind of like, from the time Finn Balor came into NXT originally, you know, he, he had the title run. He went to the main roster, did some stuff there. I've always been kind of indifferent on Finn Balor. I thought he had a lot more hype than he deserved. Even in Japan, from what I saw in Japan, it was like, okay, it's like AJ Styles, but not as good. Like, that's kind of the vibe that I got just from the the very few matches I saw in Japan of Finn Balor. 
And then he came into NXT. He had some matches with Samoa Joe. You know, uh, who else? I don't even remember who else he faced. But his first run in in NXT was just okay. Even his matches with Kevin Owens, they were like pretty good, but like not the best stuff that was going on at the time, right? Then he went to the main roster. Obviously, we know how that went. Some good stuff here and there, but all in all, it's pretty uh, lackluster, which is plays into why Finn is back, as I mentioned before, right? Didn't want to be a part of that anymore. He wanted to, once again, find what made him special in the first place. But I say all that because his run and his current run in NXT has been phenomenal. From the moment he stepped back in there, when he faced Johnny Gargano, I think he faced uh, Riddle after that, right? You know, became NXT champion by beating Adam Cole. He uh, his matches with Kyle O'Reilly, his, his his next match with Adam Cole, all that stuff, man. It's all been phenomenal. The build to this match with Karrion Cross, it's it's been next level. Finn Balor, so big props to Finn there, and um, I know he'll be able to find his spot, even if it's not for a title. I know he's going to be a prominent part of NXT for however long he wants to. So, but then the main event. Kyle O'Reilly versus Adam Cole. This, so I enjoyed this match, right? I mean, there's a lot of people on the internet saying that this match dragged on too long. And I can't necessarily disagree because admittedly, I was, I found myself on my phone a lot during this match. Um, I opened, I opened this all up with saying that at the NXT, this, this takeover special, this two night event didn't have a lot of dead air. But this match had some and uh, it it felt like kind of spotty in some ways. But ultimately, man, I enjoyed the match. I thought it was really hard hitting. I think it made it serve the purpose of making Kyle O'Reilly feel like a big star. And ultimately, that's what we wanted coming out of this. Right. And uh, like I said, I enjoyed the match, even though some of the spots were kind of goofy with Kyle O'Reilly wrapping the the chain around his leg and it didn't stay like that kind of stuff was like, okay, it's a little pokey, but it's like all in all, I enjoyed it. You know, I'll try to get past the fucking awful theme songs for both of these guys. Good God. This is becoming a running theme. You know, no pun intended that a lot of these entrance songs, I I tweeted this out, but it's like the, the music team just got together and was like, Hey, Let's take all these theme songs and just make them shitty. <laughs> like Kyle O'Reilly had a terrible song. Adam Cole had a terrible song. Like it was, it was like kind of based off of his independent theme song that he had in like ROH and stuff. Right. But it was just like a shitty version of it. You know, Pete Dunne ha- used to have a great theme and now they just made it shitty. Like I don't, it just, it just made it like less cool, less energetic, uh, less just very clunky, like, and even the, like the Shotzi Blackheart theme, same thing. Legato Del Fantasma, same thing. Like, why are these, why are they making all these theme songs terrible? Like, why is that their goal? I don't know. But anyways, Adam Cole versus Kyle O'Reilly. Great match. Did it drag on too long? Perhaps, but yeah, so is this podcast. Cause I, <laughs> I meant to just highlight this, this stuff, but well, eh, whatever. It's my podcast. I do what I want. So you'll get over it. But before we get into WrestleMania, definitely got to give a shout out to NXT UK Prelude. This was pretty much, this might have gotten lost in all of your wrestling in the past week, but NXT UK, 
um, and their normal time slot. It was it was essentially kind of just a normal episode of NXT UK, but just a little bit better. We saw a, a really good Heritage Cup match between uh, Tyler Bate and Noam Dar. Heritage Cup, if you haven't been watching NXT UK, is it's really it's it's British rounds rules. Not to get too in the details, but it's basically you know an old school British kind of stipulation where it's like I said, it's in rounds. I believe it's six three minute rounds. I may be off by a number or two, but um, it's best two out of three falls. You can uh, win by knockout, but you also can win by just, you know, two pinfalls or submissions. I just like how it differentiates itself from the other brands in WWE by giving it that 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 British kind of vibe to it. Then you had a pretty good women's tag team uh, match between uh, Mako Satamora and Amelia McKenzie versus... Isla Dawn and Kaylee Ray, the NXT UK Women's Champion. Uh, then a badass main event in Walter versus Rampage Brown. If you've heard, if you listen to me, you've heard me talk a lot about Rampage and progress. Well, now he's here, and now he's facing Walter in the main event of NXT UK. And man, just a bunch of big dudes slapping meat here. If you haven't watched this match. You know, I, I it might it might not be as good as the Champa match, but it was it was up there for sure. I mean, a Walter match is always going to be amazing to an extent. So, um, and I admire Walter for man, he he fight he faced Champa, and then uh, he flew to the UK, and like you know, fifteen hours later after that match, he faced Rampage. So, props to Walter for it being able to do that. But yeah, really fun match between Walter and Rampage. Go check that out if you haven't. And with that, as we are like 45 minutes in, now it's time to get into WrestleMania. Who? Doggy. WrestleMania 37. Tampa Bay. Like I said, where it was supposed to be last year in Raymond James Stadium. You know, after a couple of great NXT shows, after a really just a lot of shows all over the country throughout the the past week. Now we're here at WrestleMania, the main portion of what this podcast episode is supposed to be. Now we're here at WrestleMania. And um, so now it's it's uh, it. Now it's time to fuck. Man, uh, I'm sorry, everybody. Um, Yeah, I, I was about to get into WrestleMania, but we're gonna have to we're gonna have to delay the podcast for a little bit before it clears up. So, just a short delay, for just a bit. We're just gonna have to have, have a little bit of a delay here in the episode. Let me let me let me grab my poncho real quick. Um. By the way, I made a I made a Samoa Cho joke on Twitter. That should have at least two million likes by now. Like, what the fuck, man? Like, because Samoa Joe is wearing a poncho. It was silly. Like, the Samoan submission machine, the guy that went an hour against CM Punk, the guy that that held the ROH title for over two years or whatever the fuck. This monster, this dude that that took out Brock Lesnar. That choked him out on the stage. This guy that eviscerated everybody on SmackDown that one time. This this Samoan bulldozer is now just in a in a suit wearing a poncho next to Michael Cole. 
And I was like, hey, man, Samoa Cho. You know, like Poncho. Samoa Cho. It's funny. Laugh. <laughs> Fuck you guys. Uh, go like it if you already haven't. It's somewhere on my Twitter. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but yes. WrestleMania. Let's, uh, actually first, let's, let's, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this two night concept for a second. Do you guys like it? Do you not like it? I'm actually very curious because I'm still kind of, uh, questioning that myself because on one hand like two nights I'll I'll tell you this right now what I do not like for sure what I am not debating on is that one singular eight to nine hour show is complete and utter ass cheeks terrible you think back to what was it Wrestlemania 35 was that the last big Wrestlemania do you remember really anything from that show other than the main event and maybe one or two other matches? Because there was what, like 14, 15 matches on that show at least. <laughs> and I don't know about you. I don't remember hell. Even like, I remember what matches some of the matches. I don't remember what happened in the matches. It's because it all blurs together. You get halfway through and you're tired and you just you're like looking at the clock like oh and you're like counting in your head how many matches are left just wanting it to be over. You shouldn't be watching a show waiting for it to be over. And for that reason I do like the two night concept just because obviously it splits everything in half. So I mean each night was what? I don't even see I don't even know how long they were. That's that's how you, you can tell. I wasn't looking at the clock. I wasn't like, oh Jesus, how how far are we? In? No, it was I was watched I was watching the show and then it was it was done. And I was like, oh wow, it's over. There they they couldn't have been longer than four hours. Maybe somewhere in between three and four, right? I think that's the sweet spot, honestly. So in that instance, I do like how they, they say I've split it into two nights. However, there's also the aspect of because you have night one and night two. Obviously, we've all seen it at this point so we all have our opinions on each night it seems almost unanimous and when i say almost i mean i literally haven't seen anybody that says otherwise it seems unanimous that night one was better than night two now is that because the matches were better is that because the pacing of the show was better um I mean, there's a lot of questions at play here, and really, we can't really judge it too much because, in all reality, this is the first time they've done it. I know they did it last year, but that wasn't, that doesn't count. We all know that doesn't count as a WrestleMania. So, that's because there's no crowd to base it on, because that's a whole, that's a very important element that comes into play when splitting this show into two nights. So, that last year, 2020, doesn't count. But yeah, night one just seems so much more. See, I was I was gonna say lively, but that's not even the case. But the, because the crowd was definitely into it in night two, I'd even argue the crowd seemed more alive in the second night. You know, throughout the entire show, right? Maybe that's because of the rain delay and all that shit. But we'll, we'll get into that. But yeah, it just had a weird energy. Maybe is it is it that just the momentum? Because night one, and we're gonna get into it, but night one was amazing. That could have been a standalone WrestleMania and maybe maybe add one or two matches to that. And that would have been a beautiful WrestleMania. But then it's, oh, you know, night one happens. 
and then it's over. Everybody goes to sleep. Everybody you know, goes through their Sunday day activities. And then you have WrestleMania night two. And it's like, oh, we've oh, we're doing this again. Oh, yeah, I guess like there's there's somewhat of an excitement like, oh, man, night one was so great. I can't wait to do it again. But one, that sets a high bar Two, you know, night two open with the same video package and the same arena. It's almost like a thing like WrestleMania is always like, oh, man, I can't wait to see, you know, the stage set up. I can't wait to see this huge crowd. I can't wait to see all the spectacle. We, we've already seen all the spectacle because we saw it last night. So there's almost an element of like, oh, we've one, there's a high bar Two, we've already seen this before. So it's like we're not as excited to see just the the spectacle in general. And three, there's like we had all this momentum in night one. And now that kind of just halted, obviously, because it's a different night. But it's almost like that momentum, you know, separating it by a day, it prevents that momentum from carrying over almost. That's kind of how I saw it. And like I said, we can't really judge it too objectively because this is the only piece of data that we have, right? It's just one singular time that they've done this. So I'm all for them keeping this the two-night concept going forward as long as it makes sense. Ultimately, it gets a lot of people on the card, but it does it allows the fans to be able to digest it through a three to four hour show rather than one singular nine hour marathon. And nobody, nobody likes to watch wrestling that long straight. So I think one singular five hour show is the best option. And I think number two is two nights of three to four hour shows And then the third and worst option by far is the one singular marathon of a show that goes like nine, 10 hours like we have had in the the past few years. So two nights, like I said, it's better than than that. Um, But the jury's still out, I guess. But yeah, I'm curious to what all you guys think about um, WrestleMania being separated into into two nights. I know New Japan has done the same thing with their Wrestle Kingdom and I kind of almost have similar thoughts to that as well. Um, but you know, it's apples and oranges, so I won't get into it too much, but, um, but yes, night one, let's get into it. So night one opens up with Vinny Mac, Vince McMahon. There's no other way the show should have opened up. Vince McMahon is on the stage front and center. The entire roster is behind him. The, the McMahon family is out there which apparently Roman Reigns is a part of now because he was right next to Vince McMahon in a suit. Um, even more prominent than like Triple H and stuff like that. But yeah, Vince McMahon opens the show pretty much uh, saying that WWE has been missing a vital part of their product, and that is the fans, which is true. I've said it on this podcast a bunch. Watching wrestling without a crowd is almost <laughs> unwatchable. It's... uh. It's definitely it sucks the air of out of a lot of stuff and it just creates a very stagnant kind of atmosphere. But man, we have 25,000 people there in Raymond James Stadium. I was getting emotional and I was getting goosebumps seeing all of that. Just just you forget what that energy is like sometimes. You forget how important the crowd is. Maybe 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 don't forget, but you just don't you can't even like begin to imagine how much that supports the product. 
until you see it. And if I'm getting goosebumps and if I'm getting emotional watching that, just imagine how these wrestlers are feeling or how all the talent in general, the referees, managers, fucking cameramen, like we saw Rhea Ripley. That was one of the most prominent shots, right? At the beginning, Rhea Ripley was in tears while she was standing on the stage behind Vince McMahon. And a lot of people were like, cause this was during uh, America, the beautiful when, when, when that shot happened. Right. And everybody's like, why is Rhea Ripley crying during America? The beautiful. She's Australian. You fucking stupid. (laughs) Come on, man. Use your head. She's emotional that she's looking at 25,000 people in a, not a packed arena, but in a, in a huge arena as packed as it could be after over a year of competing in front of nobody, especially in the case of Rhea Ripley specifically, who was supposed to have that moment last year and it was ripped away from her. And you got to be thinking Rhea Ripley, especially with the past year that she's had, you got to think Rhea Ripley's thinking like, man, is that ever going to happen for me again? But here she is now in 2021 back in a Raw Women's Championship match. And now she is in Raymond James Stadium where she was supposed to be last year. And that that sentiment applies for a lot of people on this card, including the opening match, which we're about to get into. But yeah, so Vince McMahon's out there. Great way to open the show. Goosebumps, like I said. The, the, the video package plays. Vince McMahon. We have America the Beautiful. We have all, all the, the crowds bumping. The crowd is hyped to see WrestleMania. It's been over a year since we've seen, we've seen wrestling live with a crowd. We're ready. It's WrestleMania. The road to WrestleMania is over. Now we're here. And now it's a rain delay. <laughs> Man, I don't think, you know, it, to my knowledge, that's never happened before in WWE. A rain delay? Feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that's ever happened before. It's been close. You know, WrestleMania 24, I remember watching that and seeing the fucking dark ass rain clouds in the background. Be like, oh shit, what's going to happen if it starts raining? But it never happened. And, and, you know, Florida's gotten lucky the past, you know, couple of WrestleManias they've had in the, in the past decade or so. So, but man, they didn't miss it this time. <laughs> Luckily, the rain delay was only like, what, 15 minutes or so. Maybe, you know, give or take a few minutes. But what was it was interesting to see how they reacted to it. They being production, they being the talent as well, because, you know, it it cut to uh, Michael Cole, Byron Saxton, Samoa Joe, I believe. Right. That was the trio that was on commentary at the time. They cut to them and they're we're about to get underway. And then Michael Cole's like, eh, but we have to have a short rain delay real quick. And it's just. Like I said, it just it's just like a thing you wouldn't imagine you would see in in pro wrestling. You know, that's a thing you see in baseball all the time and stuff like that. But really bizarre. And it was funny because it forced everybody into improv mode. <laughs> you know, I'm sure they like the announcers probably had a contingency plan. Um, yeah, we'll talk for a little bit, then we'll throw it to the uh, you know the backstage correspondent. We'll find some wrestler walking backstage. We'll interview them, and then. Um, but when the wrestlers were getting interviewed backstage during this rain delay, it was very clear that they were not prepared. Very clear. And it was a very, um, it was a very different feel from the, the heavily scripted promos that they typically cut. 
because obviously there is no script because, you know, they weren't ready for this. So it forced all of these wrestlers to sink or swim. Some sank, some swam. And nothing was too terrible. Nothing really notable that was like, oh, man, did you see this shit? But it definitely, like, lets you know who was able to handle that kind of pressure, who was able to, you know, really believe in their character and in their storyline to just kind of create emotion and a narrative out of thin air. Some did better than others. And honestly, I liked it. The scripted promos are one of the, the biggest burdens on the WWE product right now. And to any, any way for for these guys to inject their per- personality, their actual personality and these promos is a positive thing for sure. I saw little shit dick Sam Roberts tweet out. I hope you guys are enjoy are enjoying these non-scripted promos or something along those lines, basically implying that the promos were bad and that he believes that promos should be scripted. But I'm like, bro, no, these are great. Non-scripted promos are great. They're a little rough around the edges for sure, but that brings in a sense of realism. It differentiates each person from one another and it it makes it so it's not a conveyor belt of the same shit over and over again just with different voices behind it and different catchphrases to to cap them off it gave each one some individuality which is a uh, a very valuable commodity in WWE nowadays but uh, rain delay happens luckily not too long then we finally get underway with our opening match the WWE Championship on the line. The champion, Bobby Lashley, versus Drew McIntyre. So I'm going to go ahead and say this. I've been very disconnected from Raw lately. And I'm, I'm by the way, I'm recording this, just to pull back the curtain a little bit. I'm recording this on a Tuesday after the Raw, after WrestleMania. Because I thought, hmm, maybe something crucial will happen on the Raw after WrestleMania, surely there's going to be a lot of happenings that happen. A, a fresh start, a new season, you know, new storylines occurring, people debuting, people returning, uh, just a different vibe. You know, Raw is going to learn from their mistakes of being so, so shallow in emotion, so generic, so formulaic in everything they do. They're going to learn and they're going to have a fresh start. Well... <laughs> I can confirm that Raw is just as bad, if not worse, than ever. So, <laughs> didn't miss anything. I say that because I haven't really been watching. I haven't been watching Raw at all, really. I've been following it through Twitter. I've been following it. You know, I'll, I'll see a th- few things on YouTube every now and then. But I haven't been watching a lot of this storyline specifically in Lashley versus Drew McIntyre. I understand that the Hurt Business broke up. Um, Do not understand why. And I can tell you this. It just seems like it's consistent with the the ideology of WWE and, and that, hey, let's break up this great faction or team. Why? I don't know. We'll, we'll think of a reason later. Let's just break them up because it'll be a cool moment, right? It'll, it'll get some clicks on Twitter. It'll, it'll make a neat gif. You know, Bobby Lashley breaking up the Hurt Business, putting Shelton Benjamin in the Hurt Lock, beating up Cedric Alexander. That'll be cool. Fans won't expect it. Yeah, it'll be neat. 
But what are we what are we doing with with what are we doing with with Shelton and Cedric? Ah, don't worry about that. We'll figure it out. They won't. But Bobby Lashley versus Drew McIntyre, a rematch from Backlash this past year, but completely different animals here. Bobby Lashley has been the fucking man. This is the Bobby Lashley that we've all been waiting for. I've said it on this podcast specifically. Bobby Lashley has suffered from being soft. And I say that, <laughs> I say that respectably because obviously he's a huge dude. Obviously, he's a very menacing looking human being. He's a legitimate athlete. He's a legitimate wrestler, amateur wrestler, MMA fighter, jacked up piece of granite. So I in no way am suggesting that Bobby Lashley himself is soft, but the way he's translated his look and his presence into the ring his entire career, it's like it's been like he's, it's this big piece of this big walking pillow walking around. Like he has all these muscles, but when he hits somebody, it's like, tee, tee. like it's, he's so soft with all of his offense. And his facials are so soft as well. He just looks like a like a nice guy. By the way, I'm talking about past Bobby Lashley. Like last year and before that. I say all that because he's turned that all around in the past month or two. A lot of his offense is still kind of soft, but he's still he's able to kind of carry that presence with him in the ring more so than he has in the past which is why I'm so happy that he's champion because he looks like a guy that should be the world champion. In my opinion, the world champion should be a guy that's like, oh, he's the top of the mountain. He's the final boss. Bobby Lashley has that final boss presence to him. So love that he's champion and Drew McIntyre being in this match. I mean, he carried the WWE through the, through the pandemic era. So it was great to see him be the first one to come out with an entrance. And get a reaction. Other than, you know, Titus O'Neil and Hulk Hogan. But I'm just going to pretend that shit didn't happen on this show. I don't know about you guys. I'm just going to try to warp. I'm going to try to men in black that to myself from my memory. Um, but yes, Drew comes out first. The kilt, the sword, all of it, the pyro. You can see on his face how happy he is. You could really pretty much say that about everybody that made an entrance on this show. Everybody is so fucking excited to have fans back and that was great to see and drew like i said carried the company through these tough times so he deserved to be this opening match for sure and in my opinion the opening match here was probably more valuable than the main event but like i said the build to this match has been pretty pretty cheeks pretty garbage um, pretty uninspiring, you know, Bobby, Lash it's been more of a hurt business kind of turmoil than Bobby versus Drew. You have Corbin in there attacking Drew McIntyre for the bounty, but that didn't really materialize into anything at all. So it was like, they didn't know what they're doing. It's like, well, let's, let's try to crawl to WrestleMania so this match can happen. That's what seemed like the mentality was. The match itself, though, was fucking great. It had to be a banger of a match returning to uh, fans being present and it was two big guys slapping meat that's what this match was and you have each guy hitting their signature moves on each other 
each kind of, it's like two powerhouses competing to see who's the better powerhouse, essentially. The finish comes when Drew McIntyre is going for a Claymore, but as he's about to sprint towards Lashley, MVP yells out for Lashley, which distracts Drew, which gives a split second distracts Drew, but Drew commits to the Claymore, and that split second gave Lashley a window to dodge the Claymore, to strike on McIntyre and lock on the Hurt Lock. And Drew passes out in the Hurt Lock full Nelson. Lashley retains the WWE title. I I don't think anybody saw this shit coming. I think it was I thought it was a foregone conclusion that this was all building up to McIntyre being able to win in front of a crowd, but Seems like they're keeping with Lashley, which, hey, I'm happy to see Lashley get a true run with the title and not just be a transitional champion. I have nothing wrong with that, especially after this great match here to open up WrestleMania. Drew McIntyre, he'll find his footing for sure. Uh, and and don't worry, folks, at backlash, I mean, WrestleMania backlash... <laughs> We will get a rematch between Drew and Bobby. So, uh, and that match will be just as more unpredictable than this one, in my opinion. WrestleMania backlash, not just backlash, which is good because we've we've had backlash for 22 years. And I'm always like, what's the backlash towards? I'm always confused. But thank you for WWE uh, for taking their big, delicious mallet and bashing me over the head with their on the nose marketing wrestlemania backlash it's backlash of wrestlemania if you didn't understand it's right after wrestlemania wrestlemania backlash everybody backlash wrestlemania backlash wrestlemania um wrestlemania anyways after that we have (laughs) the women's tag team number one contender turmoil that's a mouthful it's a bunch of women's tag teams and a turmoil match the winner of this match gets a title shot at the women's tag team championships at night two. I like that structure, by the way, I like night one being utilized to kind of begin the narrative for night two to conclude on. I like that. They did that with the North American title at takeover and they're doing it now. They're taking advantage of the two night structure, which I really enjoy that aspect of it. Uh, This turmoil match. I mean, is there anything notable that happened other than Mandy Rose slipping (laughs) <laughs> on the ramp. I'm surprised she was the only one with the rain and everything. So Mandy takes a tumble, has dirt all over her ass throughout the entire match. What was that? What the hell was going on with those outfits, dude? From from Mandy and Dana. I don't know what they were going for, but those outfits were were unflattering. And they're two beautiful women, but those outfits made them less. <laughs> it was it made them look awkward and like they weren't comfortable in their own skin where like it was just bad and they wore it again on raw didn't they oh come on guys you don't no don't don't not again we don't need that but yeah other than that other than that i mean there's really it was a match it was kind of a, a sludgy awkward match very botchy in some some instances uh but natalia and tamina end up winning this match. I actually do enjoy this pair, even though Natty is more unbearable than I can even put into words. I do like the, the the tandem of Natalia and Tamina. 
And I like that Tamina is got a chance to have a moment after all these years because she's been with the WWE for what, like 12 years or so at least. So it's cool to see her get a moment here, uh, ultimately getting the win here with her Superfly Splash. And uh, so Natty and Tamina get a title shot against Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax on night two. But then after that, we have what could be the match of uh, WrestleMania. You can make an argument for sure. Cesaro versus Seth Rollins. This is one of two instances on this show where I had major flashbacks to Ring of Honor, to the golden era of Ring of Honor. You know, me in high school watching <laughs> watching these shows on my computer that had like frayed wires attached to the monitor. So I had to like duct tape it to be able to watch stuff on it. We have Cesaro versus Seth Rollins, a.k.a. Claudio Castagnoli versus Tyler Black. Even though it's been, they've both been in the WWE for a decade or so, right? It's still, it's still so mind-blowing to see how far these guys have come. And this match had a lot of expectations based on, you know, these guys are both workhorses. They're both uh, indie darlings at one point they were. And it had high expectations, and those expectations were met, and then some. Uh, just an amazing fucking match, man. You know, Seth comes out to a badass new theme song. It's kind of like a hybrid of his past two theme songs. And then Cesaro comes out, finally gets his moment. His first, it's crazy, but it's his first singles WrestleMania match. In all reality, one of his, <laughs> I mean, how many singles feuds has Cesaro had? Just in general. He had the thing with Sheamus, and he had little, you know, onesie twosie bullshit things in the beginning when he was U.S. champion with, like, fucking Justin Gabriel and Sin Cara and shit like that. But, like, in all reality, he hasn't really had many, if at all, singles feuds in general. Not even talking about title feuds, not talking about main event feuds, WrestleMania feuds, just feuds in general. He's just been the guy that he's been the the utility guy. You throw him in a tag team. You throw him in a multi-man match. You throw him in a faction. He's been that guy. So it was good to see him. Get a huge moment here. And, I mean, what can you say about this match, dude? They broke out everything. Seth, with the that crazy corkscrew splash that he did. Uh, Cesaro broke out the UFO, which everybody's always clamoring for. That, like, airplane spin-looking move with no hands. I mean, these guys brought it, brought it all. And then some. It Just a lot of great false finishes. Not a lot of dead space. I, that, that's, like, a theme throughout this episode i understand but that was really the case here it wasn't like a traditional wwe match it felt like a match that these guys put together themselves with free range which is what makes wrestlemania so great because you see that a lot right and the whole the build-up to this the build-up wasn't that great it was more a almost like kind of a comedy kind of storyline where uh the whole, it's all based around how cesaro swung seth rollins 22 times and Seth is embarrassed and he's going to show says, oh, he's going to show that Cesaro. He's going to give him a thing or two about a thing or two, you know, that kind of deal. But uh, we saw Cesaro, his arm got worked on in the beginning, so he wasn't able to swing Seth in the beginning. So that was a great touch there. But towards the end, uh, Cesaro just switches into another gear 
and is able to push through the swing and swings Seth 23 times, breaking his record on Seth, and then follows up the swing with the neutralizer, pins Seth Rollins, and Cesaro wins. Cesaro beats Seth Rollins at WrestleMania in a one-on-one match after a phenomenal, phenomenal match. Couldn't be a better moment for that dude. Really happy for Cesaro. I'm not one of these guys that's of the opinion that Cesaro should be like a world champion, face of the company guy, because ultimately his promos aren't, they're fine at best. But he he speaks several different languages, so the language barrier is a struggle for him. And um, he just doesn't have that kind of confidence that a lot of people like Seth Rollins have. So I'm not of this. A lot of people are like, oh, Cesaro should be the face of the company. Cesaro should be the guy that's world champion for two years and like all that shit. Like, no, not really. He has a place and he has, you know, value. But his value is in stuff like this. Just giving you a badass match and a badass moment. And he definitely deserves the moment that he got. So happy for Cesaro and good on him and Seth for giving us a beautiful match here. But that brings us to something a little different. The Raw tag team titles are on the line. The champions, the New Day, Kofi, Kingston, and Xavier Woods versus AJ Styles and Omas. Am I pronouncing that right? They seem to change it every week. I'm going to go ahead and say Omas. I'm going to tell you what. I loved every bit of this. Again, this is kind of uh, this. This match was kind of structured more as like a comedy match, more of like a let up kind of match, which is crazy considering the people involved. But I think the way they went about this was great. You know, you know, we can talk about the raw tag team division and how vacant and desperate it is. But like as far as this match in a vacuum, I loved it. It was um Pretty much it was New Day trying to maintain AJ as Xavier made it very clear in this match. They effectively cut off the ring to keep AJ in their corner to prevent the gargantuan Omas from getting in the ring. From keeping to keep that seven foot three monster out of here because he is going to Great Kali, these motherfuckers, which is what ended up happening. <laughs> and I loved how they did it because, like I said, they they kept AJ in the ring. They cut off the ring to prevent him from tagging. But that all built to the tag. They teased it. They teased it. You know, this is Omas's debut. We've never seen him in the ring. There's been no contact or very little contact between Omas and anybody else. So that there's this moment that's brewing that hasn't happened. And you can hear it in the crowd. Everybody's just waiting, anticipating Omas getting this tag. So they built to that beautifully. And then AJ, <laughs> the way they did it was just hilarious because it was a situation where AJ was in the middle of the ring and Xavier Woods was on the top rope on the opposite corner of Omas. So it was almost like they froze in time and Xavier realized that he done fucked up. And he was like, don't you do it. Don't you do it. And AJ dives for Omas, 
Xavier dives like over halfway across the ring to prevent him, but to no avail. Omos gets the tag and the crowd erupts. Erupts. One of the biggest pops of the fucking night was in, was when this big goofy idiot got in the ring. And from there, man, it was like I said, it was like a, a better version of Great Kali. He just comes in here and starts swatting people, just crushing everybody, and literally does the two-handed choke slam that Kali used to do. It just makes Kofi Kingston splatter on the mat. And he's dead. So Omas, what does he do? Just takes one foot, puts it on Kofi's chest, puts it on the chest of the guy that won the WWE title at WrestleMania a few years ago, pins Kofi Kingston, and Omas and AJ win the Raw Tag Team titles. AJ Styles is officially a Grand Slam champion in WWE, and Omas is a champion in his first ever match. Nicholas did it better, but Omos was great here as well. <laughs> Look, the Raw Tag Team titles have been a lost cause for a while. This is somewhat interesting, at least. You know, let's see how they go about it. If nothing else, it's kind of an entertaining act. But were they... I, I, I didn't watch much of Raw last night. But you tell me, were the Tag Team Champions even on the show? It seemed like they were not. <laughs> so they didn't follow this up with anything. Which is bizarre, but not surprising. Um, but yeah, AJ, Omos, Raw Tag Team Champions. Good shit. Good shit. Which brings us to some more goofy shit. Steel Cage. Salad Steel Cage. Braun Strowman versus Shane McMahon. I said earlier that I was very disconnected from Raw, and this shit is a big, big reason why. The fucking the hopscotch, the terrible promos from Shane, you know, dumping slime on Braun Strowman. What is going on? I don't even care to even try to understand what's going on. But the story was dumb. It's all basically because Shane is calling Braun stupid. Well, guess what, Braun? Maybe if you weren't stupid, you wouldn't be called stupid. You know what I'm saying? So maybe sometimes people should look in the mirror and see who the real culprit of this situation is. But whatever the case is, this match was put in place for Shane to take a bump. Just like Shane versus Big Show 20 years ago. Just like Shane versus Steve Blackman 20 years ago. Shane is here to yeet himself. He is in full yeet mode and that's the one purpose and one purpose only that it served the match itself was fine it was like okay you have Elias and Jackson Riker as Shane McMahon's kind of henchmen which makes sense because Shane shouldn't be able to take on Braun by himself especially as the heel right so Shane is in the cage Braun comes out makes his entrance Elias and Jackson Riker attack Braun before he can get in the cage Hit him with a steel chair in his legs. So it neutralizes him to an extent. Um, so it's like somewhat competitive, but merely due to the injury of Braun's leg. At one point, Shane is able to use his speed to climb the cage, climb over it. And this dude is halfway down the cage, about to escape, waving bye-bye you know, with his hand to Braun Strowman. At this point, I'm like, wait a minute. 
is this dude about to actually <laughs> win this match like this? But then Braun Strowman climbs up to the cage on the other side, grabs Shane's hand through the like the rungs of the cage, rips the cage wall down, just takes his hand and rips it. <laughs> great, great visual there. I didn't. That's not how I thought it was gonna go, but it looked really good. Made Braun look like a beast. Rips the cage wall down, grabs Shane by the throat, thrip, r- rips him back into the ring, and the match continues. And at one point, towards the end, Braun and Shane are both standing on top of the cage, which is watching Braun Strowman stand on top of this 15 foot steel cage. Just, that's a sight to see, if nothing else. But at this point, here's the purpose of this match. Braun has Shane by the throat on top of the cage. Says something. Don't call me stupid. Or however Braun talks. Throws Shane off the top of the cage. Shane front flips. Lands back first on the mat. Splatters everywhere. There's blood and guts and intestines everywhere. Braun picks him up, gives him a power slam just to add insult to injury. Braun pins Shane. Braun wins, but Braun is still stupid. So who's the real winner here, huh? Am I right or am I wrong, everybody? Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, it's a it was a fun moment, um, but it's it's they didn't need to dedicate so much time on Raw to build up to this because ultimately that's all we needed, right? Was that him getting thrown off the cage? So, but that brings us to another candidate for match of the night, and not it's, it's nothing. It's something that none of us would have expected would even be in the conversation. Miz and John Morrison versus Damian Priest and Bad Bunny. Man, there is always for every WrestleMania, really. There's always this question of what will steal the show? That's always everybody's goal, right? To steal the show at WrestleMania. In my opinion, Bad Fucking Bunny stole WrestleMania. He was amazing. Bad Bunny was great. He was like, because this dude actually gives a shit. You can tell when celebrities care and when they don't care. Bad Bunny cared. Because remember, one of the first reasons he was brought in is because he was he's he had a song called Booker T. You know, he does all these things like, you know, he showed up at the NBA game or whatever and did like the Triple H, like spitting water pose and all that stuff. He's clearly a WWE fan. So it was like a perfect fit. And by the way, he's one of the biggest musical artists in the world, if not the biggest. Whether people want to admit it or not, that's the case. So it was a perfect fit. But I'm going to tell you why what he did was next level. And I'm going to compare it to, to Pat McAfee, which is a different it's a different thing, but it's kind of the same. Everybody was praising Pat McAfee, including me. Including me. He did great in his match with Adam Cole. But here's the thing. Pat McAfee had that innate athleticism. He's a fucking NFL player. A former NFL player. He has that athleticism about him. So it's almost like, okay, yeah... He did great, but we all knew he had that in him kind of deal, right? Not diminishing what Pat McAfee did, but it was almost like it was less of a surprise 
really. Bad Bunny is is a, is a rapper, right? I don't know what his history is in playing sports or whatever, but nobody was expecting him to pull out what he did in this match. And I'll tell you why it was so good because it's not just him doing moves, right? The the Canadian destroyer on the outside, like that's fine. We saw um, who was it? Was it was it Ricky Morton that did it like a year ago or so on a uh, like Santana and Ortiz or one of one of something like that, right? Canadian destroyer is not a hard move to do. It's a hard move to take, a harder move to take, but it's, you know the person giving it isn't doing the athleticism. Not diminishing, you know, the talent it takes to make that all happen because it's a lot of communication involved, but that's like something he's capable of doing, right? And it's not surprising, especially when doing it on John Morrison, who could literally do anything at any point in time, right? From an athleticism standpoint. Bad Bunny in this match sold his ass off and not in an overdramatic way. Not in a dead fish kind of way. He sold like a professional wrestler. His He sold in this match. He sold in the buildup to this match on Raw. His promos on Raw were good. I'm not going to say great, but it, it, he didn't seem out of place. He seemed like he was very confident and he knew what he was doing. And in this match, like I said, he sold. He, he, held, the, he held the tag rope. There are professional wrestlers that this is their full-time job and they don't have the decency to hold on to the tag rope or some to even tag at all, Lucha Brothers. So to see Bad Bunny have all of these nuanced things down was amazing to see. And then on top of that, all the moves he did, the Falcon Arrow, the the splashes that he did, like I said, the, the Canadian Destroyer, his punches, his punches were better. His working punches are better than most people on the roster, easily. Just so the little things he did is what made it so great. It's not just the spectacle of it. It's it's that he treated this like a legitimate match, and he worked it like a legitimate match. He gave one hundred percent, and for that, Bad Bunny. I'm a Bad Bunny guy. I didn't know who he was until he was brought on to WWE. But now, man, I have his album bumping all the time at the gym. So, loved Bad Bunny. Love everything he brought to the company. And this is as a, the epitome of a successful celebrity appearance in wrestling. Um, but yeah, Bad Bunny Rules is basically the, uh, the Cliff Notes version of that whole diatribe. But... Also, you got you to give a shout out to Miz and Morrison and how professional they were and how they were able to kind of guide Bad Bunny and kind of fill in the gaps for this guy because he's still obviously very new to the game. So they were able to kind of steer the ship in a sense. And Damian Priest even, same kind of deal. Really cool to see him on a big stage because he hasn't had a crowd since he's been on Raw. And even in NXT, I mean... A lot of the time he was there was during the pandemic era. So he hasn't really had a crowd for most of the time he's been in WWE. And the crowd that he had was the NXT crowd, which is very much more intimate, obviously. So it was awesome to see him on this huge stage because he really hasn't had that yet. And he deserves it because he's a guy that should be a star in the future. There's no reason Damian Priest shouldn't be a megastar. 
But yeah, what else can you say about this match? Yeah, Bad Bunny and Damian Priest win with a doomsday device crossbody. Bad Bunny gets the pin on Miz. Bad Bunny pins the guy that was WWE champion like a month or two ago, which is funny. But either way, great, great fucking match. So, so fun, dude. This match was fun. Like, that seems like such a basic thing to say, but sometimes a match should just be fun. It doesn't always have to be a five-star work rate. You know, let me chop you for 10 minutes and do a bunch of super kicks and let's spam our finishers kind of deal. Not every match has to be that. Some matches can just be fun. Shane McMahon getting thrown off the cage was fun. Almost getting in and causing havoc was fun. But Cesaro versus Seth Rollins was also fun. And this show did a great job, and I think it's why night one is so acclaimed. It's because it had something for everybody. I say that a lot about WrestleMania 17 and why that's the greatest show ever. is because it had something for everybody. Women, men, tag teams, singles, you know, all that stuff, right? This show had something for everybody. And you get like work rate and Cesaro and Seth Rollins. You get fun spectacle and Bad Bunny. So love that. But that brings us to the main event. Once again, another candidate for match of the whole damn week. SmackDown Women's Championship is on the line. Sasha Banks versus Bianca Belair. So for this match here, we all know, we all know that the build to this match sucked ass it was it was uninspiring it was generic you took two huge personalities and you put them in this conveyor belt into this generic formula and just made it a typical soulless emotionless build the can these guys there are two baby faces at the beginning can Sasha and Bianca coexist as a tag team? Oh, wait, man, one of them hit the other, and uh, now now they're bickering. Oh, now they're oh now they're they're at odds. And oh, now Sasha's heel, and oh now Bianca's on the mic. Let's give her a gen- oh, what Bianca? Oh, she's she's really she's really charismatic. Oh, she's really engaging and entertaining on the mic. Let's not let her do any of that. Let's just give her some. A bullet point, put this in a, in a template promos because that's just how we do it, right? There were so many things against this build that made it lackluster, to say the least. And this is the main event at WrestleMania. Now, I'm going to go ahead and say this. I don't like that the merit of the content is an afterthought as far as what gets... To headline the show. Meaning, when deciding what gets to headline and main event the show, it's not about how good the build is. It's not how big the stars are. It's not how, about how good the match is going to be. It's about they're two black women. That's why they main evented. It has nothing to do with the merit of their abilities. It has nothing to do with, with, with what they have done building up to this show. It's mere it's it's a hundred percent based on their race and gender. That's why they made evented this show. That's a hundred percent a fact, and you cannot convince me otherwise. However, that being said, this isn't about me. This isn't about me and what I want to main event this show. This is about who Sasha and Bianca can inspire going forward. Is a big moment. 
not just in wrestling, but in society in general. But if you don't believe me, we've all seen it at this point probably, but you saw Bianca and Sasha both in tears before the match even got underway. That's how big the moment was. And I love Michael Cole, by the way, just flat out saying it. The first ever WrestleMania main event with two black women. Really the first WrestleMania main event with two black people. It's a huge moment and a great moment for sure. And then it, it inspires a whole generation of little girls or little boys or whoever that they could do this too. So I am happy that they made evented, even though it wasn't based on the content of what they did leading up to this show. We have a two night WrestleMania event. They could afford to have this match as the main event, especially considering you have Drew and Bobby open the show, which I think was the right call. It's like, well, what else do you main event the show with in all reality? And I hope the precedent going forward is that the Royal Rumble winners main event each night of WrestleMania. If they do keep going forward with the two night structure, because that's how it should be. It's not how it's been. If you look at the Royal Rumble winners in the era of two world titles, right? Because back, you know, you know, Hulk Hogan was always going to main event in the early 90s, late 80s. So that wasn't even a question. But since there's been two world heavyweight titles, the Royal Rumble winner has only gone on to main event like half the time, which is crazy. So that's not the precedent that's been set. But I hope going forward it is because I am true. The traditionalist in me wants the Royal Rumble winner to be in the true main event. Bianca and Edge won the Rumble. They were both in the main event of each night. That's how it should be going forward. So, but that being said, I say that because I've given these two a hard time leading up to this show. But that being said, this match was nothing but praiseworthy. This match was maybe my favorite women's match of all time. You know, I know that's saying a lot, and I don't want to let recency bias kind of cloud my judgment, but it's definitely up there. It's definitely top five for sure. Especially when you factor in the, the context of when it's happening, where it's happening, all that stuff. It was phenomenal. Um, Sasha Banks, I rag on her a lot because she's a terrible promo. She's very like rigid and everything she does as a character. But in the ring, bell to bell, there is nobody on planet Earth better than Sasha Banks. Not in America, not in Japan, not in the UK, not in Mexico, not in Canada, not in Nigeria, not in New Zealand, nowhere. No one's better than Sasha Banks. And that factors in the stage that she's on and how she's able to handle that stage. Because you can get into the mechanics of it. Her selling is great. Her chain wrestling is fluid. Her transitions, her facials, everything bell to bell that she does is so smooth. It's so, it's like, because women tend, in, in wrestling, you women and men tend to move differently. I'm not going to come out here and say, oh, well, men do it better, but like, from a physicality standpoint, men are typically a step ahead of the women. Typically, not always, but in general, they are. You see some women move and they're very, you know, awkward and blocky and rigid. Sasha Banks moves around like an athlete. 
Her footwork is great. When I watch her, I'm not like, oh, here's this woman wrestling. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm saying to myself, oh, here's a wrestler wrestling. That's why Sasha is so good. There's, there's a select few of people who are just so smooth with their footwork and how they move around the ring. Charlotte Flair is another one. Aoife Valkyrie in NXT UK is a big one too that you'll probably be, probably be seeing a lot of in the future. There's a few people like that that just are so fluid in the ring. And Sasha is that person. She is the epitome of that. And then you have Bianca, her dancing partner here, who showed so much poise in this huge moment. She's still very, very new in wrestling. Like she is, what, is she even five years in? Maybe, maybe more than that, I'm not sure. But she's still very, very new in this, in this kind of realm of entertainment, right? And the fact that she's able to come in here in the main event of WrestleMania and show so much confidence and to be so good to nail everything that she intended to nail, to, to have this great match with Sasha, that is not, that's not something that should be understated. That is amazing. So, great, great match. And the finish comes when Bianca Belair, she's going for the KOD. Sasha counters, goes for the backstabber, but Bianca is too strong. So she kicks off Sasha off of her back. Sasha has Bianca's hair in her hands because she knows if she lets go of that hair, then it's done for. She let go of the hair and it was done for. Bianca takes her her braid, her huge ass braid, whips the shit out of Sasha Banks. That, that, that sound, I will never be able to forget the sound that it made. That is everything you could ask for <laughs> and what sound that they were going for. Bianca takes her braid, whips Sasha. Sasha is debil- debilitated. They, uh, they lock up again. They go back and forth, counter for counter, but Bianca is able to lock in the KOD, the kiss of death, hits it on Sasha. One, two, three. Bianca Belair is your new SmackDown Women's Champion. Fucking, I can't say enough about this match, man. The buildup was terrible, but the, it didn't matter. The match was great. Both these ladies deserve this main event spot. They made them. They made the most of it, and there were like a few things that made it so great, right? Other than you know just the mechanical storytelling of it, right? Look at the finish, Bianca. Bianca, when she first came in, that braid spot. She used to do that every match. When she came in, you know the May Young Classic and your early NXT days, she did that every match, and it was cool. But it's almost like you do it every match. You begin to expect it. It begins to become less cool and less surprising and less awe-inspiring. It just becomes another move. Bianca hasn't done that unless... Not that I can remember. I don't think she's done that since she's been on the main roster. And even in her later run in NXT, she didn't really do it at all. Maybe once or twice here and there, but she didn't use it a lot. So it made this moment so special when she broke out that whip. Because she hasn't done it. People weren't expecting it. And then it was executed to perfection. But then. She hits the KOD. And I bring this up again. Because of Michael Cole. 
which I didn't notice, by the way, as I was watching it, because I, I was sucked into the moment. I would even go as far to say if you did notice it, you're watching wrestling incorrectly. <laughs> like that, that's all there is to it. Um, but apparently Michael Cole, when Bianca Belair pinned Sasha Banks, he said that Sasha Banks kicked out like once or twice. And then he heard the music. He's like, oh, wait, wait. Oh, no. Bianca won. <laughs> it's like, which is hilarious. But it's even more hilarious when you think about why he said it. Now, first of all, he should just be watching what's happening. He like, clearly Sasha didn't kick out. Like, you should just react to what's happening in front of you. But like, that's a testament to why this match was so great. Because a lot of quote unquote great matches have this crutch of false finishes due to people's finishers. Trading finishers back and forth, you know, I'll do my finisher, you'll do you your finisher, I'll do mine off the top rope, you'll do yours off the top rope, I'll do mine twice in a row, hit you with a super kick and do you with a third one. Like, that's like, unfortunately, that's the, that's the status quo now, is that a match can't end until you hit your finisher at least two or three times and the last time off the top rope, <laughs> you know? But this case, Bianca only needed one KOD to beat Sasha Banks. And it's almost like Michael Cole was expecting Sasha to ca- to kick out because <laughs> nobody just gets beaten by one finisher. That'd be absurd. But guess what? They call it a finisher for a fucking reason because it should finish a match. And this match, that's why I love this match so much because it didn't have to rely on the finisher spamming. It was just a good story, a good structure to the match, great pacing, fluid wrestling, a great atmosphere, and then Bianca is able to sneak in her her whip and then hit her finisher, and that's all it takes, which is how it should be. She, She took advantage of a moment, and that moment is what cascaded the chain of events that led her to win the match. If you lose a match, it's not because you are just got dominated and you're buried. You lost, Sasha lost the match because she, she let one moment slip from her hands and that cost her everything. So Sasha comes out looking good still. Bianca, obviously, she's the champion. She has her moment. So it was great all around. Nothing negative to say about this match. Other... Then Sasha Banks' fucking hair. What the hell was up with that? Old Greg Oscar the Grouch looking ass coming out here with a green streak in the... It'd be one thing if it was like throughout her hair, but it was a bizarre, awkward streak in the front. It almost looked better like at the end of the match when it was like frayed and kind of jumbled together. Like, look, I praise Sasha a lot in this match. I have to rag on her about something. (laughs) No, great stuff all around and uh, a great way to end night one. Which brings us, you guessed it, to night two. Uh, what I deemed as the post-show of night one. <laughs> it just kind of felt like that, right? Did it not? If it felt, it didn't. Fe- it felt like uh, it felt like WrestleMania ended with night one, and this was just like a bonus almost, right? I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Um, but yeah, it's weird. Like I don't know. I touched on it earlier, but. Night two, it's like it almost felt like the momentum from night one was stopped. Um, There was just because the matches were not bad. The crowd was into it. But there was just some intangible 
energy missing. I don't know how to describe it, but um, I, I've even heard from people that were there live that they didn't like night two as much as night one. So who knows what it is, but um, could have been a lot, a big, a big aspect of it that could have played into it was how it was structured and paced, particularly the first two matches. Weird decision as far as like getting the crowd hot. It's a weird decision, the first two matches that they threw out there. Uh, the opening match, Randy Orton versus The Fiend. Very surprised to see this open the show. Very surprised to see this as just a wrestling match. <laughs> I figured this would have been cinematic in some way, or at least some some gaga along with it. But it's weird. Um, I don't know. It's weird, it's weird to see it open the show, first of all. It's weird... Um, you know, The Fiend is returning from being set on fire. He, uh, you know, manifests himself from this burned figure back into the old Fiend. He, uh, you know, there's a jack-in-the-box out there that Alexa Bliss turns and does the whole deal. And then The Fiend pops out of the jack-in-the-box. Fiend in the box, if you will. And then we have all of this, and then now they're just going to wrestle in a wrestling match. You know, this is a weird thing. And it's weird to put this out as the uh, the first thing that the people see on this show. Part of me is like, okay, maybe they're learning from past mistakes. Maybe they're, they, they saw their previous WrestleMania match and how much of a flop that was. Maybe they deem that as a bad match because it was so far into the show that the crowd was fatigued and they, they weren't in the mood to see all of this uh, demonic, you know, at worms and inside the ring kind of deal that they did last time. So maybe let's just throw it out there while the crowd's hot so that the crowd will enjoy it. But that begs the question, if you're that concerned as, as to how the crowd is going to react to it, why the fuck book it in the first place, you know? <laughs> Come on, man. I mean... I don't know. The match was what it was. It was all spectacle. It was all typical fiend stuff. Kind of a uh, it rekindled his past, his initial uh, version of the fiend that was pretty much indestructible. You know, the one that would take like twelve curb stomps from Seth Rollins and just get back up. There was a uh, a reminiscence of that in this match, but uh, the finish of this match comes when uh you know the aforementioned jack in the box or as uh the commentators put it a box like structure <laughs> outside the right outside the ring alexa appears at the top of the box has black goo and jizz flowing down her face this distracts the fiend and uh, you know alexa's just sitting up there crisscross applesauce the fiend is distracted for some reason and then the Fiend turns around and gets hit with an RKO. One, two, three. Randy Orton beats the Fiend. <clears throat> Boy, howdy. It feels like this storyline has been going on for fucking ever. And for one, the culmination is a wrestling match. Two, like... Look, I, I, I don't mind the open-endedness of the finish... A lot of people online are saying that this finish doesn't make sense, and that's not 
that's not the case. I mean, there's obviously a plan here of some sort, good or bad. It's a it's obviously a, a pivot point in whatever the story is. But at this point, I don't think I don't care about the story really. At this point, it doesn't seem like a lot of other people do. I don't know if it's a matter of uh, you know Alexa using the fiend for his powers to kind of gain control of something, or is it is it somebody else controlling Alexa at this point? I've heard online could be Alistair Black, but I think really that's only based on the fact that Alexa was sitting up there crisscross applesauce. That's the only basis on that rumor, really. But whatever the case may be, I struggle to care about it at this point. And uh, for all the time that they've put into this feud, I feel like there's been no uh, payoff, really. So not an efficient use of time on the part of WWE. And uh, that's to say the least. So whatever. We'll see what happens with that. I'm sure it's going to continue... I guess, you know, silver lining is that it leaves kind of it's not exactly predictable what's going to happen next. But also at the same time, like who really gives a fuck? Speaking of which, next match, we have the women's tag team titles on the line. Nia Jackson, Shayna Baszler versus Natalia and Tamina. Again, I mentioned before is a weird first two matches of this show. It's weird that they thought that these two matches would get the crowd hot. And maybe these first two matches are what kind of set the tone in a negative way, which is why night two is unanimously. It seems like the, uh, the lesser of the two nights, but whatever the case may be, Tamina's out here. I said earlier, she's super over with the crowd, which is great to see. I feel like she's kind of ending her, uh, she's at the end of her run. This kind of felt almost like a swan song to me. Like, just one, like a one final moment kind of deal. But other than that, I mean, this match, hell, it was better than I expected. I mean, the, the women's tag team titles are a joke at this point. We all know this. I don't mind the the pairings of either of these teams, honestly. And the match mechanically was, was, was nothing. It was nothing special, but the crowd seemed to be really into it. And ultimately, that's the only thing that matters. So um, they're doing something right, basically. But... All in all, it's a pretty forgettable match. Uh, Naya and Shayna get the win here as Shayna chokes out Natalia. So um, it was a fine match here, but again, a weird placement on the card for me. Hopefully they start getting more of these actual teams involved, like, uh, I don't know, the Riot Squad or uh, even Mandy and Dana seem like a legit team at this point. Why are, why are they not more of a, uh, a factor here? Um, hey, why, uh, why the fuck did you break up the Iconics? They could have been a perfect part of it. I don't know. I have so many questions as far as tag teams go that I don't even want to bother. Um, but third match of the show, finally got something good. Kevin Owens versus Sami Zayn. I said this earlier in relation to the Cesaro versus Seth Rollins match crazy to see these guys wrestling at WrestleMania given their history where they came from how long they've been in the game it's so cool to see them on this big big stage that they deserve two great friends obviously been up and down the roads together so now if nothing else they can say that they faced each other at WrestleMania one-on-one so really cool for these guys and 
hey, by the way, pretty fucking awesome match as well. Um, it definitely felt kind of short, though. I would have liked to see some of the time from the tag match get trimmed off and put into this match. But nonetheless, they uh, they made every second count, although really with the time they were given, it kind of came off like a greatest hits display from these guys. It felt like everything we saw, we've seen from these guys, whether it's from NXT whether it's from their their 2016 feud, which, by the way, their 2016 match at Battleground, I thought was significantly better than this. But um, this match is still great in its own right as well. And I did love the finish because, again, that Battlegrounds match I just brought up, the finish was a callback to that match where in that match, the finish came when Sami Zayn hit a halluva kick onto Kevin Owens but before Kevin Owens could fall down, Sami Zayn kind of propped him back up with his shoulder, put him back in the corner, and hit him with a second halluva kick for the win. In this case, WrestleMania 37, that same spot happens in the exact same way, but on the second halluva kicked attempt, Kevin Owens fires back with a super kick, hits the sunner, and much like in their Battlegrounds match, hits him with a second stunner, kind of uh, turning the tables, so to speak, on a Sami Zayn. That second stunner gets him the win, and Kevin Owens beats, beats Sami Zayn. Love, like I said, love the callback to their previous match. I thought the finish was fantastic. And all in all, while it might have been kind of just like a quick sprint of a match, I enjoyed it for what it was. Uh, the Logan Paul aspect of it, I could have done without. But once again, I understand the uh, the appeal that he has. I'm sure he brought a lot of new eyes on the product, whether it's people that tuned in to actually watch the show or at least people seeing on social media that WrestleMania happened and WWE is still doing it. Whatever the case may be, Logan Paul is a huge star. Uh, love him or hate him. So I understand his involvement and I appreciate that he didn't really have a heavy involvement in the match. Really no involvement in the match at all um, until the, the post-match stuff where, you know, we got to see him get stunned by Kevin Owens. So like, who's going to be mad at that in all honesty, right? Um, fun match, fun moment at the end there. And uh, once again, just happy for these guys. They're, they're the epitome of what I loved about Ring of Honor. Um, and they're an aspect, you know, in my Ring of Honor reviews, that's an era that I cannot wait to get to when these guys were teaming together and then when they were against each other. So, uh, yeah, awesome stuff here. And then um, after that, we have the United States Championship on the line. Matt Riddle versus Sheamus. I had very high expectations for this match because there was a match that these two had on Raw. It might have been a few months ago at this point. Um, it was kind of just a random ass match. I think it was like in the build to Survivor Series when they were on the same team and there was like a bunch of infighting and stuff. They had a match on Raw that was fucking flames. Probably the best Raw match of the entire year. If you haven't checked that out, I highly recommend it. I don't know the date offhand, but they've only had, you know, a couple matches on Raw. So it's one of those. Um, Might have been their only singles match, honestly. But um. But yes, going into this, I had high expectations of it. And while the match here at WrestleMania was pretty damn solid, it uh, the match itself didn't really stand out among the other matches that happened on this show. 
in my opinion, or, or even in this week in general, there was just so much good wrestling that this match kind of, uh, kind of got lost in the shuffle, I think, but I, uh, I really enjoyed it really hard hitting just a couple of guys that hit each other really hard and you always love to see it really good chemistry between these two guys and, uh, would love to see them wrestle each other tons more. I could watch these guys wrestle every week, honestly. And I love the finish. Riddle goes for a springboard moonsault off the second rope, but Sheamus catches him in midair, upside down, with a brogue kick. Beautiful timing. I mean, if you're off by a half a second, it looks dumb as fuck. But he caught him flush, even busted his lip open, I think. Love, love, love that finish. And Sheamus hits the broke kick, pins Matt Riddle, and we have a new United States champion, which I like because uh, Sheamus, man, he's been the workhorse the past few months, low-key. I mean, he doesn't get nearly appreciated enough. And, you know, given, you know, these U.S. intercontinental titles, in my mind, in my opinion, they should represent kind of the workhorses of the roster. They shouldn't be looked at as mid card, even though technically they are. They shouldn't be looked at as like the, the lesser than the world title. They shouldn't be looked at as a stepping stone. These titles, the U.S. title, Intercontinental title, they should be that workhorse title that represents something that the world title doesn't. The world title has all the spectacle and all the spotlight on it, but people fighting for the U.S. and Intercontinental titles are just grinding giving great matches night in, night in, and night out. And that's what Sheamus has been doing these past few months. Really his entire career, honestly. So I think he is a perfect fit for the United States champion. And yeah, man, between his matches with you know Riddle, Drew McIntyre, he's had, he had a couple bangers with Kofi Kingston, also flew under the radar, as well as his feud with Big E on SmackDown. Sheamus is killing it, man. So love to see him have some gold here. And um, good stuff for the fella. Uh, speaking of which, speaking of these uh, quote-unquote mid-card titles, next match is the Intercontinental Championship. Nigerian drum fight. We have the champion, Big E, versus Apollo Crews. Love, love, love everything about this. I love everything Big E is doing. I love everything that Apollo Crews is doing. And I love how every interaction between these guys feels real. Like I spoke about Sasha and Bianca and how their interactions kind of felt generic, like it was just kind of thrown into a, a formula generator. It's a typical, you know, WrestleMania kind of feud. Biggie and Apollo, whenever they interact, it comes off as genuine. It comes off as how they actually talk to each other. You know, set aside <laughs> Apollo's accent. Otherwise, other than that, I feel like there's some genuine there's not 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 that there's genuine hostility but as i'm watching it I, I can get sucked in you know i can suspend disbelief and that's the key to watching any wrestling show is your ability to kind of get you know block out everything not look at it as an analyst or a podcaster lit, watch it as a fan and biggie and apollo cruz have made that very easy with this feud because it has been very entertaining. Love every bit of it. I love Apollo Crews, how he finally has a character. He finally has something he can sink his teeth into. And it's all based on reality, right? He really is 
does have a lot of pride in his Nigerian roots. So that's very easy. And that's why it comes off so well is because it's easy for him. And in Big E, we know we all know how charismatic he is. We all know his abilities. So it's great to see him as well. Get this chance to shine and love that because a lot of times in previous years at WrestleMania, these mid card titles kind of are last minute thoughts. You know, it's like, hey, let's just throw six guys in there and hey, maybe we'll throw a ladder in there or something. And it's very like, you know, last minute, like no thought put into it, no feud, no story to it. But this match had story to it. Happy, happy, happy that we minimized the multi-person, multi-team matches this year at WrestleMania. That, that's one important aspect as far as why I love this show so much. Because um, everything felt like it mattered in its own kind of way. So, but we have the Nigerian drum fight here, which is silly. Like they had the drums <laughs> ringside and they had kendo sticks and tables and all that stuff. It was fun. It was a fun match. It's not going to be, um, you know, they've had regular wrestling matches in the past. So they had to break out something different. And that's what this match did. Love the callback to Apollo taking out Big E a few, was it a few months ago at this point? With the steel steps, dropping it on him as Big E was laying on the floor. Apollo dropped the stairs on him and took him out for a few weeks. Apollo tried to do it again, but this time sandwiching Big E through this, in between the, the top and bottom sections of the steps. But Big E was able to move out of the way. And, uh, but it looked vicious. It made Apollo look like a dastardly piece of shit <laughs> trying to kill Big E. But uh, otherwise, you know, kendo sticks. Uh, we had tables come into play. I believe Apollo got sent through a table at some point. Uh, did the drums even come into play? They had a bunch of drums ringside, but I can't remember them ever being a factor. Maybe I just missed it. That's very possible. All in all, very fun match. Towards the end, we get the... Redebut of Daba Kato, aka Baba Tunde, or I don't know what they're gonna call him, but uh, he debuts here as Apollo Cruises, I guess his uh, his bodyguard, henchman, heavy, whatever you want to call him, coming out here in this military garb, really fitting in with the uh, Nigerian prince kind of militaristic attitude that Apollo Cruz has. So I think that's a great move, and it gives uh, Apollo. The heel further, you know, ways to win matches in a heelish way. So I'm all for that. Um, but Dabakato comes in. By the way, I love how commentary was just baffled as to who this man was. As if we didn't just see him a few months ago on Raw Underground. Like literally. He had a whole thing with Braun Strowman. Like, I guess you guys missed that, huh? Um, who is this man? We just saw him. We we all we all know who he is. He's not even, he looks the same. He looks the same, guys. Um, but Daba gets in there. I believe he hits Big E with a Samoan spike, it looked like. Couldn't tell if it was a spike. It did look like his thumb was taped up, so I think that's what it was, but it could have been like a, just a chop of some sort. Uh, hits him with a choke slam, and Apollo Crews crawls over, makes the pinfall, and Apollo Crews wins. The Intercontinental title at WrestleMania. Huge, huge moment for that dude. Just like Cesaro, man. He's been there for forever. And it's so awesome to see him in something meaningful. And to see him get a win on such a big stage. Couldn't be happier for the dude. 
and a fun match and can't wait to see what Apollo does as champion. I think he represents what that title should be. Like I said, the workhorse title, the the title where, you know, you can just have great match after great match. And um, yeah, and Big E, I think it's only a matter of time before we see him facing Roman Reigns. So uh, good stuff from those guys. Then after that, we have the Raw Women's Championship on the line. Asuka versus Rhea Ripley. This match kind of just felt like it had to happen. And I don't really mean that in a good way. Like, there was no build to this match. Rhea just kind of debuted and was like, hey, I'm going to challenge you. And Asuka was like, I. Right. And then, uh, then the match happened. Like, there wasn't a lot of uh, story to it. Felt like it just existed purely to have Rhea win the title. Like, very, I mean, it was a decent match, right? I think these ladies worked really hard. Like, how about that DDT spot off the apron from Asuka? Um, Rhea looked like, a, looked like a monster in this match. I think she had a heavy majority of the offense, right? Throwing Asuka around tying her up in a pretzel like Rhea looked like a monster in this match to me it was a mostly forgettable match even though it is a huge moment for Rhea Ripley uh winning the Raw women's title completing the trifecta of uh Bianca Raquel and now Rhea that wave of NXT women are now taking over the entirety of WWE which is awesome to see it was what it was. I didn't really think much of it. I'm uh, kind of demoralized as to how Asuka has been booked through the entirety of her main roster run. It's And it's more than just being champion, man. Like, yeah, she's held titles. Yeah, she's been Raw Women's Champion for a long time now. But how many times, how many times did she defend it? Against Alexa Bliss that one time. And then before that, I think it was Zelina Vega. If that gives you any idea as to how sparingly that title has been showcased. How sparingly she's been showcased. Fucked around with Charlotte Flair with the tag team titles. for the, it was, it's, it's all been like uninspiring, like who gives a fuck kind of stuff. Which is a shame because Asuka is such a unique talent. Such a valuable presence. So fun to watch in the ring. And they just give her nothing, dude. Nothing. And I've talked about that a lot in this podcast. That, you know, even though she technically, if you look at the, just want to look at the win-loss records. Yeah, like, yeah. She's been pretty strong. But does anybody care about her? It doesn't seem like it. So, and they're not doing her any favors in that regard. So hopefully Rhea Ripley can kind of take this title and maybe give it a fresh start. I know Charlotte's back in the picture now, but it's just like, okay, we've seen all this before. I would like to see Rhea Ripley get her comeuppance on Charlotte for Charlotte beating her last year. But uh, other than that, it is what it is. The Raw Women's Division is a disaster at this point. And uh, who knows? Maybe they, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's not due to a shortage shortage of talent. So it's not just a matter of calling people up. It's not just a matter of signing people. It's it's a whole mentality that they need to change in terms of the women's title and to make it 
something that we can take serious as fans. Cause right now it isn't, and it really hasn't been since Becky Lynch was champion. So, and even then it was very sparingly. So who knows, but, uh, happy for Rhea Ripley nonetheless in a, in a pretty good match here, but that we're finally here, folks. Universal championship, the main, main event of night two edge versus Daniel Bryan versus Roman Reigns. Now this is such a huge departure from what we saw in the previous match. This is a match that had a great build. This is a match that had time, several months of build. Really? When you look at it, different forks in the road, different motivations from everybody involved, great promos, you know, the intangible element that you can't create. That element being that Roman Reigns came back from leukemia. Edge and Daniel Bryan both came back from career-ending injuries. There was a point, you know, maybe two years ago, two or three years ago, where we as fans didn't think any of these guys were going to wrestle again. Now, we sit here in 2021, and we are watching all three of them compete in the main event of WrestleMania. How crazy is that? We've seen a lot of people make that kind of assessment, right? It seems like everybody's, you know, tweeting the same thing. Oh, these, you know, Daniel Bryan and Edge came back from injury and Roman came back from leukemia. It's, it's, a, it's a thing we all acknowledge, right? But to have that, it, 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 that can't be understated how crazy that is. To even take it even farther than that, not only are these threes here and present, but they are here and they just put on a fucking classic in the main event of WrestleMania. Tremendous triple threat from these guys. And a lot of that is, you know, the build to this match was so great. You had Edge win the Rumble. He came back from not only his initial injury of his neck, but tore his tricep last year. He came back. First match back, entered the Royal Rumble. Came out number one, ran the gauntlet, won the Royal Rumble, and earned his shot at a champion of his choice. You have Daniel Bryan, who had a chance at the title in between Rumble and Mania, but got screwed out of it. So he, as well, deserved a shot, especially considering he made Roman Reigns tap out. And obviously you have Roman, and we know how I feel about Roman. He's Roman Reigns can do no wrong. In my eyes, the perfect heel champion, in my opinion, such a unique character and such a good character. Even to this day, as as long as he as he's been doing it, it's still as good as it was in the beginning, if not better. And um, but that great build. You went into this match and any three of these guys could have feasibly won. Some were more likely than others, but you could have seen any of these guys walk out with the Universal Championship, and that's the mark of a great match. You go into it not knowing what's going to happen, and then you can just sit back and enjoy it. And that's what I did, and that's what I'm sure a lot of people did watching this match, because this match fucking bopped. So good. Non-stop action. Um, yeah, you have Jey Uso getting involved in the beginning, then getting thrown out. You have... Uh, 
Edge and Roman hitting spears on each other, you know, colliding with their shoulders. Daniel Bryan doing his thing. Edge, Edge in particular was super over with this crowd. Um, that was fun to see. And that's another thing, the crowd. We got to see the yes chance again, the real yes chance. We got to see Roman Reigns get his first reaction as a heel. And lo and behold, people were booing him, which is awesome to see that 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 plays into his character, right? There's a great shot that I saw on Twitter somewhere. There's a great shot of uh, Roman Reigns. He's on the stage holding up the title. And there's this great shot of like a, a fan giving him the double middle finger. Like that's just the epitome of what a heel should be. And so good. So good. And then obviously, like I said, Edge super over. Awesome stuff from all these guys. Action is spilling all over the ring, all outside the ring. Great finish. So Edge has Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns both down. Beats him with a chair. Edge grabs two more chairs, puts them, slides them under the heads of Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns. Clearly going for the concerto on both these guys. So Edge hits that concerto on Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan's out. He's twitching. He's 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 lifeless. Edge goes for number two onto Roman Reigns, but that damn Jey Uso gets back in the ring. Uh, Edge is able to spear Jay, get him out, dispatch of him, but then Roman takes advantage and spears Edge and then hits the concerto on to Edge. Then Roman Reigns takes Edge, pulls him, puts him on top of Daniel Bryan, and Roman Reigns stacks these two motherfuckers and pins them both. <laughs> so, so good. Roman retains the title. You know, sometimes you just have to have your dominant champion be fucking dominant. And that's what Roman Reigns was. And that's what he is. Now we move on. And Roman Reigns is as legitimate as he's ever been, more so than he's ever been, more dominant than he's ever been. And that just leaves the door open for another competitor to challenge him, whether it's Edge or Daniel Bryan again, whether it's Big E, whether it's someone else. Whoever faces Roman Reigns next has a clear, huge obstacle in front of them. And that's what makes, and that puts sympathy on the baby face, which is textbook booking. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Great finish to this match. And uh, yeah, what else can you say, man? Roman Reigns walks out as a champion. Kind of bizarre to see the heel close out the show. But sometimes you have to, man. You can't just have, you know, a foregone conclusion every year of the good guy, you know, being the heroic and, you know, overcoming the odds and all that shit. You can't have that every year. You have to have some sense of unpredictability and stuff like this lends to that, right? So next year you could be like, oh, well, the heel won last year. So maybe that could happen this year too. Like it just, ha it just gives you a sense of not knowing what's going to happen next. And that's always what uh, people should strive for in my opinion. But there it is. I'm more long-winded than, than I intended to be, but there was just so much amazing stuff to talk about from this past week. And, um, you know, NXT and WrestleMania 
both being two nights, we effectively had four major events just from those two entities alone. And, you know, splitting it into four nights, it's a marathon, but at the same time, it gives every single match the time that it needs to uh, to tell whatever story it needs to tell. And I opened this up with, you know, talking about the two match structure and I don't know, man, I kind of like it. I, I definitely would like to see them keep on with that going forward and see how it turns out. But yeah, I think uh, I think that about covers it. Uh, thank you. If you're still listening at this point, you are the realist. Uh, much appreciated to all of you guys for tuning in, downloading, tuning in. You're not tuning in unless you're on tune in, I guess. But thank you guys once again for listening. I really, really appreciate all of you. Have a big episode next week with a very special guest. Survivor Series 2001. And then uh, I'll introduce the guest next week. Fuck you guys. But uh, <laughs> just kidding. Um, but yeah, big episode next week. Couple of big episodes actually coming up in the next few weeks. So keep an eye out for that. Follow me on social media if you don't already. All of the links in the description of this podcast. Check out apronbump.com for previous episodes as well. And uh, yeah, next week we'll have... Uh, WrestleMania apron bump. So <laughs> it was like a WrestleMania backlash joke. I was kind of, I thought I had something there, but I don't, I don't think I did. Uh, but yeah, well, can't end the show better than that. So <laughs> no, but yes, once again, thank you guys so much for listening. Take care of yourselves. Kiss your sister, pet your cat, lotion, your testicles. I'm hard.